Well, hello there, everybody. So good to see you this fine day. I hope you are ready for a sweet church service. We are starting a new series, going through the life of Joseph, getting kicked off today. But first, let's get to a time of worship. Let's go.
of darkness now has ended in the kingdom of light in the kingdom of light forever under your dominion you're the king of my life you're the king of my life
Well, thank you so, so much, worship team. You guys are amazing. You really are. Well, hey, everybody. Hello, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here. I have a couple of announcements for you today. First of all, if there is any way that we can be praying for you this week, text your prayer request to 97,000. We would genuinely love to pray for you this week. Please text that out. So, it is the month of October, and we have lots of fall fun planned. That's right. We kicked off the month with our hoedown and barbecue last weekend. It was so, so good. Such a good time. And there's lots of things planned here on the upcoming Sundays. Every Sunday, we got something going on. There's a latte cart coming in. There's pumpkin stuff. There's lots of food and treats. Lots of good things. Go ahead and check out the website if you're interested in more details on that, but we'd love to see you out here on Sundays. If you are so interested and able to come on campus, we would so love to see you. Uh, One thing that I do want to mention as far as our October fall fun is this Sunday, possibly the day that you are watching this video, we are having our farewell for Pastor John. Pastor John is retiring here at the end of the year, and we just wanted to throw him a big bash celebration. So that is today, Sunday, October 10th. So if you're around and able to come over about 12 o'clock, 12.15, we got a taco truck. We got delicious cookies and a sweet time to celebrate Pastor John. Please come on out, drop whatever you're doing and come on over to the church. That'd be really sweet. Next weekend, we've got a busy weekend as well. So we've got Marriage Essentials on Sunday during uh, our first service in the well with Paul and Terry Reiser. We'd love to have you out for that. But before that, on Saturday, October 16th, this upcoming Saturday, we have our men's one-day retreat. I cannot more highly recommend you gentlemen be at something here on our church campus. It's going to be a great day, lots of good food, lots of fun. Man, And honestly, the best part, time to connect with other guys, time to get into God's word, time to get that little adrenaline shot for your spiritual life that maybe you're just needing. Um, Go ahead and register online. Uh, Today, if you are watching on Sunday, October 10th, today is the last day to get the discounted rate. Prices go up at midnight tonight. So that's Monday the 11th. Prices go up. So go ahead and register online. uh, That'll help us plan for the weekend as well. So looking forward to being with you guys this upcoming weekend. Uh, Finally, thank you so much for just continuing to support the ministries here at our church. Uh, We cannot do it without you, literally. So thank you for continuing to give. You can give online or mail in a check. Um, We thank you so much for that. Hey, now I would like to introduce the man, the myth, the legend. Pastor John Irwin is kicking off our new series talking about the life of Joseph. Would you give it up for Pastor John? 
Welcome, ABF Online. It's so great to be with you again this week. Loved our worship time, and uh, I'm excited. We are in a new series called Plot Twist. Josh has already mentioned that. It's the study of the life of Joseph. And maybe um, you can relate to this theme a bit. The title of my message is When Dad Plays Favorites. It goes something like this. You're my favorite son, says me to my son, John Daniel. John Daniel, at six years old, says, I'm your only son. And so that was quite playful, right? Uh, Since he was just a kid. But it's not so funny if this was true in a family of 12 boys. And so we see this morning, tonight, this afternoon, whenever you're watching this, that playing favorites, sibling rivalry, and fatherly passivity are just a few of the problems we're going to see in this text in Genesis 37. So go ahead and turn there right now. We're only going to look at four verses. But Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, comes from the ultimate dysfunctional family. After we do this series, you're going to feel a lot better about your family, Lord willing. And so we see right out of the chute, his brothers hate him, his father adores him, and he's caught in the backlash of sibling rivalry. I actually miswrote it in my notes and put backwash, which that would be true too. And so we see in Genesis 37 the devastating consequences of all these behaviors. Now, as we begin this study, though, uh, I want to take a big panoramic view of uh, the five broad time periods of Joseph's life. And so, if you haven't already printed these notes out, pause, uh, pause the TV and, uh, or your computer and get these so you can take some notes. Let me start in the overview of the life stage, stages of Joseph in Genesis 37, verses 1 and the first part of 2. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Even though he's saying that, it's really more about the life of Joseph over the next several chapters. So here are the big transitions. From birth to 16 years old, we see that in Genesis 30 to 36, which we aren't going to cover. That's a time of transition. Now, we mentioned that the patriarch of the family is Jacob. His name means chiseler or deceiver. At the time we're looking at him, he's 170 years old at this time, and his new name is called Israel. Now, don't confuse that with the name Israel of the country. That's his name from Jacob to Israel, which means God strives, which is a reference, as you probably know, to a wrestling match that he had with God back in Genesis 32. Now, there's this competition between these two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and as you know, uh, Jacob had to work to be able to Uh, Mary Rachel, he worked for his father-in-law Laban for seven years and another seven years, so 14 years, but he gets the girl. But Rachel is barren, which is a social stigma. So she is a disgrace to her husband. That's the backdrop to some things we'll read in just a moment. Now, here are the family events that precede where Joseph is going to come into the picture. So his birth prompts Jacob to get back home Uh, after 20 years of working for his father-in-law, Laban. Now, Joseph's name means add to me, and Joseph's birth gave Jacob some new energy in his old age. We see that. Uh, And so, uh, Jacob would have seen all the following. He would have seen, or Joseph would have seen all the following things. He would have seen his father sneaking away from his father-in-law, Laban, 
uh, or his grandfather Laban, I should say, uh, because of all the changes in contracts between his father and his grandfather. He's probably five or six old, five or six years old when they leave Haran. Uh, he experiences the fear of meeting uh, Esau, which would be his uncle, with these 400 men because of the conflict between those two brothers many years earlier. And then he's going to see the change in his dad, Jacob, after this all-night encounter with wrestling an angel. And he comes back with a limp, but he comes back with a heart for God. And then there's all kinds of other things we won't get into, but the bottom line, the death of his mother as a young boy happens when Rachel gives birth to his youngest brother, the 12th son of Jacob. His name's Benjamin, and she dies in childbirth just prior to uh, his grandpa Isaac's death. Then we see the tension period of his life. It's Genesis 37, where we'll be for the next couple of weeks. He's 17 years old. Uh, Jacob is too preoccupied and, and too busy and unconcerned, and he, sees, he doesn't see all this stuff that's going on right beneath his own nose, rivalry, jealousy, competition between these four wives and 12 sons. And there's bickering and there's fighting, and the brothers hate him because of preferential treatment, and they plot to kill him, and ultimately they sell him into slavery. And there's all kinds of problems in that 17th year for Joseph. And so he's sold into slave as a 17-year-old, junior in high school, so to speak. Then the period of temptation. He's probably 18 or 19. We see that in Genesis 39. We'll see that in a few weeks. He finds favor with Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's personal palace guards. But of course, you know that he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual misconduct. Note, had Potiphar really believed his wife, he would have been executed. But instead, he throws into jail because he kind of knows maybe a little bit too much about his wife and her behavior. Then there's all these years of testing, and there's various time periods that people recite. It's at least two years he was left in prison, the period of testing, but 13 years all total as he's in the waiting room for God to, to do something. He's trusting God for an uncertain future. And then the period of triumph from 30 years old to he lived to be 110 years old is the rest of the story. Do you know that Joseph, it, more is written about him than the previous six patriarchs in Genesis, more than Adam, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, more written about Joseph. He rises to the second most powerful position in all of Egypt, which we'll see later in this series. He gets reconnected with his families. His dreams are proven to be true. And that is the, the quick summary of Joseph's life. And that's, those, those, that's where we'll cover over the course of time. I want to pause here for a bit of application because it tells me that in every family there are these roller coasters of experience. Nobody has a perfect family, right? Nobody has a perfect family. And Jacob, least of all, had a perfect family with all the women in his life and number of kids, there was all kinds of conflict. And so I want to give you some hope today. Our theme of plot twist is the story's not over till the story is over, right? Well, let's finish the story to see how God's going to work, not only in Joseph's life, but your life. So what happens to this poor kid? Well, look at the opposition in verse, end of verse 2. Um, 
It goes like this. We see a report. Joseph tattles on his brothers. Here's what it says. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers, and he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. I'll explain who they are. His father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So he's the youngest. These other four guys are the, the kind of the stepbrothers. Remember, Jacob uh, had two wives, Rachel and Leah. They each had a handmaiden by the name of Bilhah and Zilpah. And so Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, these four boys are born to these two women. And so they're, they're always feeling like second-class citizens, right? Because they're they're barely felt like a part of the family. And we can only speculate what the bad report was, but it's probably something like they were lazy or inattentive, or maybe he's just 17 and he's being a bit immature. But now we see something about the robe, and Jacob shows this preferential treatment to Joseph. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. We won't talk a lot about that robe, but that robe was colorful. Colorful, much like the Dodger shirt you are seeing here. And I admit it is a old man shirt. And I wear it proudly no matter what happens by the time you are watching this video. And so since Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife and Joseph was the firstborn, we see that in Genesis 30, it's easy why Jacob might have favored him in his old age. But this partiality brings on all kinds of headaches, and it's bound to cause him trouble, and sure enough, it does. So he's helping with the sheep. He's the youngest. He probably doesn't have a complete work ethic just yet. But Jacob is, re is relieving him of the duty and made him the overseer by giving him this kind of tailored coat. Jacob wanted to make Joseph a ruler before he really had earned the right to be the kind of the farmhand leader out with the flock. And so the brothers hated him and they envied him, we see next week in verse 11. When he says that Jacob or Israel loved Joseph more, the text doesn't imply that he didn't love the others, but in comparison, it feels like they got leftovers. Remember the story of the prodigal son when they throw the big uh, steak, uh, steak fry for the prodigal, he comes back and the older brother says, man, you haven't even given me, you know, a burger bash and throw a party for this, this, this punk kid brother of mine. Well, that's how I think those brothers felt about Joseph. And it's very adversarial between all these stepbrothers. And so Joseph grows up with this negative peer pressure from his stepbrothers because he was spoiled by his dad. And that personal favoritism promotes all kinds of unhealthy sibling rivalry and ultimately major family dysfunction. Maybe some of you are saying, well, I would never do that with my family. I would never do that with my kids. But maybe we do it inadvertently. When you say little comments to your kids like, why can't you be more like your brother? You know, all of you probably that have been parents more than two seconds know that your kids are different. They're different from birth, right? My kids uh, will be in the audience uh, this weekend, and uh, it's amazing how different they are. My firstborn, Katie, I mean, she's a straight arrow, you know? You barely had to look cross-eyed at her, and she was very obedient. And you'd say, Katie, I'm very disappointed in your behavior. And she'd 
kind of well up with tears and cry, and you know, that was the discipline. John Daniel comes along, and I say, John Daniel, I'm, I'm very disappointed in your behavior. He's, he'd look at me like, well, you better learn how to deal with it, right? Now, thankfully, we can laugh about it. They're both in their 30s now, but the bottom line is uh, you, you had to realize they were very different from birth. And so kids know when you're unfair, you know? So we do all kinds of things, like I'm going to give you the same amount of money, you know, for your car or help you buy a car or I'll help pay for this wedding or I'll pay for this wedding. And so you see all of that. So this kind of uh, unfair um, favoritism causes all kinds of insecurity in kids. Now, the, the robe was just illustrative of his love, Right? And so this coat of many colors was really, as we've said, a sign of nobility. He was promoted before he had earned it. And that's really the problem here. That's why, partially why, and this had probably been going on for years, where he got preferential treatment. And so with a coat like that, you don't have to work like the rest of your brothers. It's like wearing, you know, a tuxedo uh, to go work out on a job site, so to speak. Uh, And so this idea that, uh, or wearing, you know, your fanciest, you know, dress shirt or whatnot, your Lululemon or whatever. Now, there's resentment, and so his brothers hate him. You see that in verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Can you, can you imagine that scenario? scenario? Imagine what the dinner table must have been like, what chaos might have reigned. It's not rocket science when these brothers see that what dad's doing in relationship to this punk brother, Joseph, right? Uh, and so they see him as a threat to their future and to their financial security. And so they hate him. Literally, they speak of malice with him. They can't even talk civilly. And these childhood wounds have been festering and festering for years. And they could be very, you know, many, many years older. So these aren't other teenagers, this, these are guys in their 20s, maybe even early 30s. And so they speak with malice. And so I put on your screen here a list. Dysfunctional families don't handle things very well, like anger or bitterness or conflict or how to make decisions. All of those are things that dysfunctional families struggle with. And so the bottom line is, as we look at our text today... I want to bring it home and talk very practically about some practical parenting things. You know, um, it's kind of ironic that in one of my last sermons, I get to talk about family ministry, family relationship stuff, because I did that for many, many years in my 43 years uh, of ministry. And I I want to just talk heart to heart with you right now, Uh, because I realize that some of you are listening to this and go, man, he is describing my family. Or you're saying, wow, whew, thank goodness, man, we, we dodged a bullet here. Let me give you a, just a preliminary observation before I, I give you three mistakes to avoid uh, in your parenting. Uh, the general observation is this, that anytime you're in a group with other parents and they're talking about their kids, I think there is this unspoken idea that goes on in our minds that everybody is on the food chain of dysfunction somewhere. And so you go to your small group and you're sharing, you know, passionately about things, and you're praying, and somebody shares a little bit about their kid who's been smoking pot, or, you know, their daughter who got pregnant out of wedlock, or, or whatever the issue might be, right? 
And then your kid who gets a D in, you know, Algebra 2 doesn't seem quite so bad as what other people shared. And so you go home from your small group and you're thinking, where did I fall on that family dysfunction uh, line? And sometimes you go home going, huh, we're, we're, we're doing okay. Or other are like, wow, we got some work to do. And so with that backdrop, I think all of you sit here listening today with a little bit of apprehension. Maybe some of your grandparents. You're not worried about your kids. You're done with that. You're worried about your grandkids. And so here's what we do know. We know that when dad plays favorites, there's some consequences that are catastrophic. So the first mistake to avoid that I see in this text is that passive parenting or fathering is something you just got to avoid. Avoid passive parenting or fathering. And I, I listed for you, even though I'm only covering the first couple of verses, Scott next week will cover the rest of this chapter but I listed them in your notes so you don't have to try to write these down as I say them. You can see them there. But look at all the things that happen because of passive parenting. Jacob allowed himself to really be clueless. There was disrespect in verses 3 and 4. There's contempt in verses 4, 5, and 8. Uh, not only because of who he was, but how, what he said, that they, uh, how they hated Joseph. Sarcasm, verse 8 and 19 covetousness or je and jealousy in verse 11, conspiracy and murderous plottings, uh, verses 18 through 20. By the way, pausing here, all the things we've binged on Netflix, this sounds like something would be perfect for our Netflix miniseries right here. Uh, physical abuse, uh, verse 24, callousness, verse 25, collusion, uh, you know, that's when they're going to sell them off to the slaves in Egypt in verse 27, and there's this cover-up and deceitfulness in verse 32. Now, look at that list. That's all because of passive parenting. Passive parenting. Secondly, an observation I have is attempting to be perfectly fair. That's a problem. You say, wait, 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 wait. That sounds on what, what do you mean, being perfectly fair? Well, let me just clue us all in. I think all of us have been at this a while. Life isn't fair, right? Life isn't fair. In the real world, our kids will be treated unfairly. And so we don't treat kids the same because uh, they aren't the same. Now you say, wait a second. Are you saying you should show favoritism? Isn't what this is talking about not to do? No, what I want to quote you is this unique bent of each child, according to Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child according to his bent or, and, the, and, the, and then the way he should go, you know, the rest of that. So you may not treat them equally, but you need to uh, treat them uniquely. You don't necessarily treat them equally, but you treat them uniquely. Let me give you an illustration. So <clears throat> when our kids are learning how to drive, my daughter had to learn to drive in Minnesota uh, where it was icy and it was, you know, it wasn't as easy to drive in the winter. And so we were a little more cautious with her in terms of, you know, she got her license at age 16, but when she's, you know, she turned 16 in the summer, but that first winter was, you know, her first six months of driving was in ice and snow, and we weren't letting her go out uh, driving uh, as much as maybe we did a few years later when we were living in California, and my son gets his life license. He turned 16 in December, but there's no snow in Southern California and uh, we were much more free to let him drive that car. By the way, our daughter was very glad 
that he finally got his license because she got an upgrade uh, and got the car that she had been driving, got passed down to John, and she got something just slightly newer. By the way, just a sidebar. When the cars in the parking lot at every local high school in the student lot are nicer than the cars in the faculty parking lot, we fundamentally have a problem. All right? Can I just say that? And so this idea of buying kids brand new cars when they turn 16, it's craziness. You can tell I'm in one of my last sermons because I'm just letting it fly. I'm letting it fly. And so here's the deal. Look to minister your kids in ways that are unique to them. What is their love language? Is it time spent? Uh, by the way, every kid's love language under the age of 10 is gifts. I can tell you that for a fact. It's an acquired taste when time spent and words of affirmation become more important to them, or at least we sure hope so, all right? Then, third mistake, and we've said it already in this message, is plain favorites. Plain favorites. Don't compare kids with each other. Favoritism will destroy your family. And the bigger the family, the more potential for that to happen. If you're an only child, you can play a favorite, so to speak. So my daughter has four kids, soon to have five, right? Boy, boy, girl, boy. And the fifth one on the way in March, is, we've been told, is going to be a girl. And so there's all kinds of competition for getting mom's attention, right? And so some of the things that I've learned over these years as both a parent and now a grandparent is that kids are in competition for three things uh, from you, mom and dad. The first thing is they're asking for is affection. And it's really this whole, do you love me? Do, do, do you love me? Uh, and you can imagine how those brothers growing up in Jacob's family felt, well, does dad really love us? Because he sure doesn't seem to show it. He seems like he has his favorite you know, a couple of guys, Benjamin, the two young punks, the youngest of the litter. Um, and it brought questions in their mind. I'm sure they were saying, well, what did we do wrong? What did we do to, to, to deserve this? And so when you have multiple kids in your family, you've got to work on this idea of co cooperation versus competition. I, I love the way our daughter, parents, uh, our grandkids and our, our, and by the way, I say our daughter, Ryan, her, her um, husband's here as well. The bottom line is they really focus on each kid individually, right? And they feel loved. The second thing that they want from you is attention. And it's that, am I important? Look at me, right? Look at me. I've already said that kids are very different in their family. They have, you know, the firstborn who's, you know, very athletic and driven and whatnot. And, uh, you know, the, the next one, uh, he's so relational, right? He's so relational and he can change clothes like nine times a day because he plays different characters all day long from fireman to policeman to worker man, you name it. He's got a costume for it. But this idea of I'm important, this I look at me, think about those brothers again. Did they think they just hadn't measured up, that they had failed some way? Why should Joseph seem to get everything? And so one of the things that we work at is we compliment all of our grandkids. Let me tell you what I love about you, that, that whole circle of affirmation. Hey, for our birthdays, we're going to say all the things that we love about Finney or Rhett or, or Sela or Oaks. And so 
we do it uh, and build up uh, the family. And then the third thing kids are competing for is your acceptance. Am I worthy? The, the listen to me. So the love me, look at me, listen to me. And it's really asking the question, do I matter? Does my opinion matter? And so oftentimes kids think that performance is the basis of your love. And so the kid that gets A's versus the kid that gets C's, the kid that scores the touchdowns versus the kid that sits on the bench. We can't base our acceptance of our kids and grandkids based on this conditional performance approach to life. And so uh, as we look at the difference between praise and encouragement, praise ties to the child's worth, right? And, and that worth is based kind of sometimes on performance. And so that encouragement is tied to unconditional love. Now, I believe you can praise and encourage your kids in a, in a healthy way. Just let's not be only encourage them for things that they do, like being excited about the number of touchdowns or the number of A's that they get. When I, uh, as I close this right now, I, I think about just one final thought uh, as we look at this opening story about the life of Joseph. You know, this family was so messed up, and yet God intervened in Joseph's life, abandoned, loved lavishly in his childhood and early teens, then sold away as a slave as a junior in high school as a 17-year-old, and all the ups and downs of, of being accused falsely and rising to levels of prominence, and then his hopes being dashed. I know today that some of you are in that kind of whirlpool wondering, what's going to happen with my kids? What's going to happen with my family? And I hinted at this before, but we're not done. God's not done with your family. And whatever place you find yourself as you're, you're hearing this message today, Remember, your life is a plot twist as well. And through the good times and through the bad times, God is still in charge. And when you look back at your parenting or grandparenting, or as you look forward, just keep saying, God, what is it? What is it that you're trying to teach me in this plot twist that I'm now experiencing? You don't have to get angry. don't have to get anxious. But what is it God's trying to do in our lives? If you can keep that in perspective, I think you'll find yourself in a much better place emotionally as you parent your kids and grandparent your kids moving forward. I close with this. I know that my kids knew growing up that they were loved because I told them. I told my wife, I told my kids that I tell you I loved you today. It's a phrase that I've probably said hundreds, maybe thousands of times because I never wanted my kids to feel like they didn't know and hear from my voice that I love them. And it always started with their mom and then it went to them. And so today, dad, don't play favorites. You know that in, intuitively. God's in charge and you're going to be able to make a difference in the heritage of your family. And if you're in a tough place right now, God's still in charge and he can take care of that too. Have a great day.
thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard tender whisper of love in the dead of night, but you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never
Well, ABF Online, we're so glad you've worshiped with us today, that you've heard God's word. I hope again that you always remember that God's in charge of the plot twist in your family. Have a great day. Hey, if you're watching this on Sunday morning, you haven't figured out that you can get some free tacos, we'd love to see you uh, Sunday afternoon. God bless.